0: Yeah, it's, it's the Curtis and Chad show. Welcome to Tanked Down, a show about video games and beer with, Chad, with Curtis and Chad McKinney.
1: Welcome to Tanked Up, the podcast all about craft beer and video games. I'm your host, Adil. And this week, I'm joined by not one, but two guests. It's Chad and Curtis from BitRock Games. How are you guys doing?
0: Hello. Uh doing very
1: well. <laughs> yeah, doing great. Thank you for
0: having us. Thank you very much for having us. It's good to be back, actually. I really enjoyed our first conversation, and I was sick. This oh, time yeah. I feel much better. I'm definitely going to drink this time.
1: Oh, uh, yeah. I actually had forgotten that you uh, you had to take it easy. I mean... Both my co-hosts have called in sick, or, I mean, called in, it's sunny, out and the Jubilee is on, and maybe some drinks have been had. But, potato, potato. <laughs> um, In fact, let's actually go straight to our drinks first, and then we can chat about what BitRot's been up to since we last checked it. Uh, let's start okay. with you, Chad. What are you drinking?
0: Alright, so... It's a little early in the day for me, so this time I'm doing something a little bit easy. So this is a uh, light-hearted ale from Bell's. Hmm. So you might have heard of the two-hearted ale from them. I actually got a box of like a, a bunch of variations on their um, whatever-hearted ale se- series. Um, the best one that I had in there was the black-hearted one, but I drank all those. So uh, now I'm having the nice and easy Lighthearted, which is just like a pale ale version mm-hmm. of the of the two-hearted.
1: Uh, was the uh, hearted like a like a black IPA, or what was?
0: Yeah, it's a black IPA. It was, you know, hoppy, um, resiny, but also like had a nice uh, roastiness, salty, oh, nice. and kind of good balance. Good balance.
1: And so you've got, um, what's the ABV? And is there any fancy flavor text? Oh, this is family? like four.
0: Yeah, this is four. Okay. So it's it's you know I, you know for an American pale ale that's like you know kind of average love for for uh english that's like that's like a full on <laughs> like ipa territory
1: <laughs> so, that's funny. it's it's like uh, no i'd say it's sessionable he says Se- yeah quickly okay. glancing at whatever he has um uh cool when you why don't you crack that and we'll move on uh to curtis and um, see what he's got going on Okay, so I
0: went old school and I got something I haven't had in a long time, which is the Trappist Rochefort
1: Eight. Oh my god, that's one of my favorite beers of all time. Um,
0: yeah. yeah, so I'm the Trappist Rochefort Eight, <laughs> fantastic beer. I haven't had it in probably a decade. Oh really? Um, really? Yeah. I, unfortunately, it's a little bit harder, especially where I'm at in Brooklyn. They don't right. stock up the Belgian ales as much. We've got a good selection of American ales. Right, but getting good, good Belgian ales is hard. did um, so they not just you know, like I get a Bevmo out here? You can just pick up like they just always have Rochefort, at least, at least six, six, if not eight. eight. Six is more common.
1: Um, eight's, eight's eight. by far the best one. I, I, I think the ten's a little too sickly sure. sweet, and the eight is is one of the more perfect beers I've had. When I um did my masters in uh, Amsterdam, uh, the small corner shop at the end of my road. Always had it in stock and it was under five euro yeah. for a bottle. Like I think it was like three, three twenty-five. It was a luxurious time <laughs> in my life. <sighs> um excellent. Uh well what while you, you crack and pour that. <laughs> um, go, go, go. I've got um two local uh breweries, Wiper and True and Verdant, uh collabed it's the Wiper and True Collaboration Series twenty two. It's a farmhouse spelt pills uh Ooh. it's got the uh the hops are the haller tower tradition it's 5.4 percent um abv its ibu is 17 it's got barca pilsner and spelt as the malts and the yeast are escarpment labs crispy and Quebec and retomyces q
0: that's a really interesting beer um i hope so i mean having spelt as the as the, as the malt is already like fairly interesting but like yeah yeah, like the with the Brett and all that, that sounds really nice. Yeah, and also, it sounds like it's going to taste like a barn in the best way. I, I love beers like that, they just have this kind of like hay, fresh oh, kind of uh smell and taste.
1: <laughs> Luckily, yeah. um, I'll taste this. I'm glad we're not recording video for because of the uh terrible technical difficulties, but this is one of the worst <laughs> starts to a pour I've had in a while. Uh, that, that That is strong, <laughs> um, but. While while I tame this poor um, Chad, what does your uh, beer taste like? Sorry, I'm
0: I'm, I'm t- taking it in.
1: Uh, I
0: mean, I would say it's definitely reminiscent of Bell's Two Hearted, but uh, certainly like toned down. So like, it's got that I think strong malt back uh, backbone to it, but it's not nearly as like thick and and sweet. It's much more on the on the drier side. And and the malt I would say is is um, yeah more, more of a supporting, supporting role than than starring as much, and uh, the hops are yeah, yeah I, mean, I mean they're they're, they're a, a bit, bit tiny, and the, I would say uh, kind of resiny, uh, but, but still like balanced. It's, it's not like obviously a super aggressive beer. It's, it's only like four percent, so it's yeah it's, it's light and uh, yeah kind of what you expect I would say, say from like a a, a, a hoppy a pale, pale ale.
1: Mm. It's, it's not, not it's not, not
0: like um uh, you know like a totally uh boring pale ale. it's not it's like, like the kind of that thing have, that like you yeah, know I, I drink it and I forget the, the I, I am even holding it because it's so forgettable. forgettable. Uh it's a, it's a nice pale ale, so I, but you know I, at the same time I wouldn't put it uh at the top of like one of my favorite beers or anything like that. It's, it's a nice, nice sessionable pale ale. Yeah.
1: Nice. Sounds great. We'll move on. Curtis what's uh well we, I mean I think we've all had that but I mean yeah. if 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 people in the audience haven't had The Rock for eight can you t- can you tell them what they're missing?
0: Uh, I'll try. You know, I don't know if I really can do it justice. Um but Here on the taste it. here. Yeah, I mean it's um in my opinion it's pretty transcendent. So. Um <laughs> It's uh <clears throat> effervescent is a good way of putting it. I feel like um, I feel like there's definitely a strong, uh, kind of rock candy caramel flavor to it. Uh, it's definitely, um, malt-forward, not at all hops at all. <laughs> um, got some medicinal qualities. Clove, um, um... Mm. Yeah, I would say that it's definitely sweet, uh, but not as sweet as you said, as the 10. And in fact, yeah, I would say one of the reasons I like this one uh, in comparison to some others uh, in this game kind of sphere is that it's, it's um, bubbly. Uh, it goes down very easily. It feels like a light beer, uh, but it's, you know, 9.2% ABV. It's a very yeah. dangerous beer. <laughs> <laughs> um which to compare i just recently i had um also a very smooth beer which was very surprising um i had a bourbon county scout from mm. 2015 that i had aged um i bought it uh in around 2018 um at the beginning of the game and I promised myself I would open it up when we released. So oh, that's great! We finally released. Yeah, yeah. But it was crazy because I remember having that beer when it was, uh, you know, unaged, mm-hmm. uh, and it was very aggressive. It was very aggressive, boozy uh, stout. But then aged, it was also just incredibly smooth, and it was evil because <laughs> it would just, you know, it's like it was like fourteen percent ABV. Oof. Um, yeah.
1: I mean, so, it is my kind of beer, but also if if it if it high ABV beers that hide themselves. Uh, I mean, they're great, <laughs> but also dangerous. Yeah, that's my
0: jam. So, I'm, I'm <laughs> filling those. I'm I'm very happy right now.
1: <laughs> Excellent.
0: Yeah, 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 I mean, that's just one, one of the, the nice things thing about, about I think Belgian beers. You mentioned the the clove and and the um, the, the, the mouthfeel. You, you know, know so the, like a the, bit usually more highly carbonated. And, and then also, also that helps, I think, the nose and, and also some, some of these the other flavors, flavors come out, like the clove and stuff, but, but also, also just the, the Belgian yeast tends to have a little, little bit more of a, I'd say, wider of, spectrum of, of flavors, fruity and, and phenolic and all this stuff coming in. So there They're are, always the, the, the best, best Belgians, I think, certainly are uh, uh, the kind, a kind of beer, beer that
1: stand Yeah, I think it's great. And, you know, I
0: hate to say it. You know, there's a lot of American on it, and I still think the Belgians are, uh, are on top here, personally. I, Controversial it's a take. I wouldn't say they're on top. <laughs> I, it's it's just, just, a just a different, like, like you know... Yeah. It, that's that's like, like saying that, you know, a metal band is better than like a jazz band or something. They're just, just different, different things. Right? Yeah. <laughs> Russian River is <members> good. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
1: I enjoy that, uh, that comparison, metal and jazz, because um, it's actually when you pay attention to both you see the like connections that you know are not immediately sonically um noticeable um and that's uh, that is sort of the same way um i beer is like some beers just taste so different and you just uh, you would be surprised they are of the same character um but just like music there is a beer out there for everyone um Speaking of beer for everyone, this beer's for me right now. Um, <laughs> so this is, yes, yeah, the um, Farmhouse Spelt Pills. On the pour, I immediately smelt that, like, tangy uhness off of the bread. It actually has a bit of almost lemony uh, undertones. Uh, but really soft um, nose. I want to say... It doesn't make sense, but just r- ride this wave with me. I want to say, like, if you had left lemon cleaner and it went off somehow and it was three rooms away that's the sort of what the nose is doing very light it's something's not quite there but it definitely has this this, like almost clinical lemoniness but again all the way in the corner
0: Then it's it's sat in the corner corner. and fermented.
1: Yeah, I I, I resisted saying fermented cleaner because I think at that point, the analogy, which is what I was going for, doesn't make any sense and I lose all credibility. And I didn't start with very much. Um, Interesting. So it... It's 5.4%, but this... It's got a really thin mouthfeel and a really the initial taste sort of comes and goes. It's got a nice long finish, but those first two parts make it feel much more like, you know, 4% sessionable. Like it just, and the whole taste isn't very boisterous. So this, this could like, if you were careful, you could be like, oh yes, that taste is quick. I'll have another sip, have another sip and just accidentally 5.5% year, which, you know, would be a shame because it does have this really nice long finish. And that's where the Brett's coming through. The immediate taste is, definitely that that farmhouse slightly tangy pills but really light and again because the mouthfeel is kind of watery it just makes you feel like i'm having just i'm having a session ale it's quite done when there's this almost this gap between the main taste and the finish where that mouthfeel is the biggest part of the taste you're like oh yes this is very watery it's only after that fades that you're like oh there's this lovely tanginess that brett's coming in that like Oh it's a bit off wonderfulness that Brett brings to beers and that again it's 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 like five rungs down the t- like strength ladder so it's quite light but it's really long and so because I'm rambling about the beer I'm noticing just how long it is and how nice those Brett tones are but if you sort of were just drinking this really quickly you might not notice just how much of that taste curve is backloaded cuz it's like lower but longer like a long tail um Hmm, and actually, it's helping no- me notice those some more. Those high citrus notes are still lingering as well. It's they're really interplaying nicely, just kind of like the nose was. Um, yeah, this is really excellent. Um, I'm curious. Um, because it's got the spelt and the brett, I'm curious how well it would age in can. So I did buy four of them, so I might hold on to hold on to a couple of them for a month or two and see see how it goes and then if that goes well maybe at some point i know it's going to age poorly in the can but i'm just curious
0: yeah but i mean with, with the Brett in there i I, I feel, feel like that it's actually probably going to do you know pretty, pretty good, good. Mm-hmm. you know like ideally you want the bottle with like some yeast in it right but, yeah uh i think, I think even you in a can, can Brett, you're, you're probably, probably you could you probably have, have things things that thing around, around it, it. It'll, it'll actually like, develop some
1: yeah that's my suspicion as well um, I know this is probably impossible for you guys to track down, but for the people in the UK, definitely track this down, Um, especially because the weather's finally turned and the sun's coming out. This is very much a, a late spring, early summer type beer, just because it's got that lightness, but a little heft with the bread. So it's not quite oh, God, I just I just need something that has bubbles and some beer taste because I'm melting. It's like, ah, yes, I'm still, you know, the wind is a bit brisk. I still want to interplay. Yeah, really excellent.
0: Ah. Yeah, I'm going to be a little bit of an old man now, but uh, I'm just going to, like, revel in the fact that you can get a beer like that in a can, and I imagine probably you got that relatively easily. Um, I remember, you know, 10, 15 years ago, Getting a beer like that, like you couldn't just like walk down to the store and get a can of something like that. Uh, like you'd have, have to. I remember we, the only, only place when we were living up in um, the Bay Area to get beer like that was Russian River, and for the most part, there was like one or two that you could get at select, uh, really like particular craft beer stores. Otherwise, you'd have in a bottle. Otherwise, you'd have to go down to the brewery and just get on tap. And that's right. the only place you'd see something like that. Whereas right. like now, like the proliferation, proliferation of, of, I think um, the, the diversity, diversity of styles of beer has been wonderful. The other thing is that like, it's not like these kinds of beers didn't exist. They were just a lot more, I think region locked, right? Yeah. So like, when, when I lived in England, one thing that I kind of saw while we were there was the, I think the influx of a lot of American, American influence on the craft beer culture there. Um, and certainly that happened vice versa. I mean, obviously in America we stolen a lot from like Belgian <laughs> beer, English and German yeah. beer and all this stuff. Uh, but it's been really cool to see all the all the mixture across like regions and cultures.
1: Yeah, just to tag onto that, I think that that's sort of been the big difference in the past ten, fifteen years is like in Britain we never had um like we didn't have microbreweries here. Um and I think that regional hey we've doing some weird stuff but come to the tap room yeah. Maybe they have, if they've got a good relationship with a few bars, they might can or bottle the, like, the most regular beers they make. Right. But the whole point was you just come to the brewery and, you know, yeah. and like in England, it, it was always just like, I mean, it would just be like the people who cask out for for regions, but like they didn't right. really have yeah. tap rooms, most of them, right? It's just like, oh, you come to this area, like here in the Southwest, or like a bit more Devon way, um, you, you can get a tribute you can get a gem from bath ales like you can get these standard ones and when i first came to the uk in what 2012 those were in all the bars and then in the meantime uh craft brews came up and those guys and there it's about making things that are unique but also in runs rather than in like sort of local small keg we'll make this beer for our friends kind of that vibe of yep. a very like you said extremely local um and like it's crazy because some of the more interesting players have all made um deals with supermarkets here in the UK. So that you can get like a Northern Monk or a uh, Cloudwater, um, or even Vault City, who are this great sour – Vault City just does sours, um, and they're in they're you know, they're in Scotland and they've just started making things for oh, I'm gonna get it wrong, so I'm just gonna say, uh, supermarket <laughs> chain. And obviously. We we had the, uh, one of their guys on the podcast on episode. I won't look it up because my computer's temperamental, but um, uh, and he was talking about how it was right before that deal sort of came out, right after that deal came out, and it was like, oh well, so now now they're doing the like, this is definitely our craft thing, but because of economies of scale for the supermarkets, we can have this sort of our bestseller and have it at this certain price range in the supermarket. And we'll just take a loss locally in our store for the stuff we make on our own runs in that sort of same bracket of tastes. So just because we don't want people to feel like the devoted fans are getting screwed here, but it was a really interesting conversation about like, and it's that movement from like craft. Oh, but craft is like scalable that's sort of the point so when when you are successful in the way that like microbreweries never were because again it's like this pocketed locale if you're not bottling and canning then i guess you could do two batches at the same time of a beer and hope more people walk in the door but it, that's the scale <laughs> attribute you, you've got yeah anyway that that's the ramble on microbrewing versus uh craft brewing um but we're here to talk. I'm here for it. Yeah, excellent, uh, literally and figuratively. Um, uh, but yeah, I, I'm all about femto brewing. Sorry? So, so I'm
0: all about femto brewing. So you know, you got you got micro yeah. brewing. You know, nano brewing, pico, pico brewing. brewing. No, no, no. no. Yeah. Those those are too popular. Yeah, we're about <laughs>
1: femto. Nice. That's where you you put the ingredients in your mouth and let it naturally ferment. <laughs>
0: Exactly. You just kind of swish it around.
1: <laughs> oh, dear. Um, <laughs> but you guys are, are, are game devs who are not at the FEMTA level. Uh, and <laughs> last time uh, we spoke, you guys had just, I think you just did the teaser, was it, for Recursive Run? Yeah. I think, right? God, I don't even remember how long ago that was. It was
0: the yeah. announcement video. Happened. That's what it was, Yeah.
1: yeah. And now the game's out.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's been uh, a whirlwind. (laughs) It's been intense. One of the most intense periods of of my life, I would say, including during the PhD. I was
1: going to say, and you've, you have done a PhD. That's intense. (laughs) I mean, literally like, so, I mean, were you, is this not what you anticipated just development wise? Or was it like, was it, was it just like last minute things or like just the way timelines go? Or was it just like, we knew this was gonna be intense and it was intense.
0: <laughs> yeah, kind of the last part. I mean, uh, part of it is that it's not like when we're, you're correct, we're not quite into, but we're still pretty small, <laughs> right? Um, but we, we are a, l- a little bit of a level up we have, like, a publishing deal. We have a contract. We have dates that we have to meet. There's actual money involved. Um, and so, you know, it wasn't like in the past where, if, you know, we could just make a thing. And then, uh, you know, if it took longer, it took longer. And that was fine. It was like we really had to meet deadlines. And, so, um, and then, of course, we're also, like, always wanting to tweak things or add things or re-edit things. Um, and so it was just trying, you know, a long stretch of trying to make it the best it could be. Um, just working kind of at the top of our game, at the top of my possible level of output for a really long period of time. Right. (laughs) I'm still kind of recovering,
1: to be honest. I'll bet, yeah. Yeah.
0: Um. Yeah, I mean, I did that, like, I would say to contrast it with the PhD experience, I'll, I'll just speak, speak to my, my own experience. experience. For, for me, the, the thing, thing that, was, was, most that, that was, was most challenging about that was, that was coming to the end. I had realized so many of the mistakes I had made throughout my PhD and and, and setting, setting myself up for the dissertation. dissertation. I mean, some, some things that that I had done well, well and my supervisor, supervisor had guided me, kind of you know helped me set myself up well as far as having lots of publications. But I think the thing that I was not, not so, so happy, happy about, about is I, I, I feel like there was wasn't as strong of a, a, a pool throughout the whole thing that, that it made, made it a lot, lot of work for me to, me to really consolidate it into an expression, expression that's singular. Right. And uh, towards, towards the, the end, end, the challenge for me was just more of a motivation, motivation issue anxiety. and anxiety, like, like overcoming almost, almost like a mountain of anxiety that I felt, felt like the thing that I had arrived at was maybe not worth the effort or time I'd put in, and to contrast that with hear, here, like when, when I, I when, when I would work on my thesis, thesis towards the end, end, there was a time when, when simply opening my editor, was, like, my, my editor was like took all my willpower to just simply look at it. it. Um, Whereas like working on the it game, game, it was, it was never, never like, like that. that. Like I, I always felt very motivated to work on it, and it was something that we were really excited to close. It was just more time. Right. Just you know, we always wanted more time. We wanted more playtesting we wanted more music we wanted more um sound design we wanted more time to tune the puzzles just everything across the board you know we could have done to make the game even better but it need to be done on, on a certain date to meet our kind of timeline and also at a certain point you kind of just have to move on and let it go and, I and mean, be the thing that, that
1: it is that's right? the same thing with the dissertation though like that yeah. learning good enough versus perfection is something I, yeah. I still struggle with and definitely the thing that helped me crank out let's say three and a half chapters in two months. Um God was I mean it would like the ideas damn. were there in my head, right? But I was just I was in the wall of anxiety, but was the fact that for reasons we definitely don't have time nor inclination to go into, <laughs> I had a very strict deadline of uh which was already extended because i lost my supervisor um 45 days before i was supposed to hand in this was my sixth yeah. supervisor yeah Whoa. just as a, just as a coloring yeah. of how, how that my time in a phd went anyway so but like then it was like okay you have until the end of february and it was like all right i guess i just gotta do it and not I like, didn't have the time to worry about good enough versus perfection. And I feel like you're, I, I'm so I vibed with the, we have a publisher. And I was like, actually, that sounds like the best thing because um, <laughs> one of the things where like one thing I learned well in my PhD was like scope creeps bad. I was constantly scoping downwards because I didn't have good advice in the beginning about what the scope should have been in the beginning. Plus just finding more meat in the, in the individual parts. And it sounds like you guys were describing not scope creep, but rather refinement creep. Like, Oh, if I had more time, this bit, which is working and will do all the things I need could be better. And like, that's the, such a dangerous thing because without that deadline, you could, you you could just spin all those perfectly concerted, Well scoped, um, moving parts until they were you know platinum or diamond, but they wouldn't. That doesn't get the game in hands. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's exactly
0: that. Um, The game is it's very human. Um, I'm very proud of it, but there are definitely parts. If I had infinite time and infinite money, you know, I would I would love to improve. But Hmm. uh, you know, perfection is the enemy of of shipping, (laughs) (laughs) of being done. Yeah, (laughs) and we we did it, we have a released game, you know, which I'm pretty proud of. Um, speaking of yeah, Infinite, I,
1: oh, well I was going to segue with the Infinite to to, to describing the game, <laughs> but I didn't want to cut you off.
0: Uh, I was just going to touch and, uh, on, you know, know do you I do think, think that, that in a creative, creative endeavor, endeavor, there's, there's absolutely, absolutely um, some truth to this sunken cost fallacy. And, and I feel, feel like, like, you know, know it, it touches, touches everything, everything from, from something, something as big as ship the, the game, game to you know there are, are times, times when, when i'm working on um you know whatever, whatever some uh writing or music or sound design and uh, you know something's not working and i it's a, it's easy trap to fall into to just be like i'm just going to keep iterating on this and i'm just going to keep jamming until it works and sometimes it's, it's, it's honestly just the best idea to just cut the thing, do something, something else, mm. or at least go away from it for a long time and then come back later, uh, as opposed to just spinning your wheels trying to to make it better, because you can waste, certainly I for myself at least, <laughs> I've wasted lots of time, like really making this whatever sound, you know, yeah, exactly so I- <laughs> like I want it to be. Just to add on to that, I would say personally, I think there are kind of two, at least with composition, but I think probably this applies to any kind of creative endeavor, but I've always thought of it as there are Beethovens and there are Mozarts, (laughs) and the difference being that uh, Mozart, music just came to him. He lived and breathed it. He could just fall down the stairs and compose a piece of music, right? Like, the dude just, it came out of him but he didn't really ever sit down and just like meditate and struggle with it. Beethoven struggled with it. Like he would go through many, many, many iterations of a piece and a melody, like a hundred iterations of a melody before he finally got the thing he wanted. I have to admit, I like Beethoven's music more personally, but there's a lot, don't get me wrong. There's some really great Mozart music. I'm not pulling a dog on Mozart, but, uh yeah, so there's just different kinds. There are people who are just it just comes, you know. Yeah. And yeah. for me personally, never been that way. About anything I've ever done creatively. It's always been a, a struggle, a fight. <laughs> you know.
1: That's interesting because I I find that this for me the struggle is sitting down um and like <laughs> starting. But I'm very like right. like I wrote half my dissertation in very little time and I actually think the last chapters were the best written as well. Um same thing with oh good lord there's a cat at the door. Um same thing <laughs> with actually like I've started doing stand up recently and um oh. my best uh like I've been helping do tech for a night uh, oh, a new comedy new comic night uh, for years now but um sitting down and be like I will write it does nothing for me except it. i I, this is why i think i'm I'm currently looking for an adhd diagnosis because i had a booked gig i had five minutes to and i had nothing did nothing for the two weeks previous and then a friend came to visit she was supposed to go for dinner with someone didn't and so the morning of the gig while she was in the shower i just sat down wrote a seven minute sketch like sat um and then when (laughs) she went for dinner I was like, okay, you're getting out of my space because I need two hours to like practice this. But it, but I I just moved things and added a couple of jokes, but it all kind of just blurted on the page. Um but the problem with that is unless you're a Mozart, you have Ooh. to wait for those moments to come. And like the Beethoven way gets a different style. But also I think that boy, am I jealous of people who can just sit there and just work through things. Um like Rain or shine, and just churn because that's a that's a skill or a trait that I was like never really had. But I totally get what you mean, and I think the art will reflect those things, like the the approach, right? I'm sure the same basic premises of like even jokes, right? Like if you just sort of blurted on the page, more more than likely it's going to be like a, kind of like a, more of a stream of consciousness storytelling type thing versus if you were like this is there's there are jokes here and let me just refine it i i mean i'm sure that's that's why i don't write one-liners and things because those <laughs> the whole a one-liner set is just iteration right like there's no way around it and you fill five minutes with five second minus set like bits like that sounds crazy I did. I wrote five minutes on the idea that um, graduation ceremonies are just one long cue to nowhere because you just spent four years <laughs> doing the thing and it's already finished. And it took me seven minutes to say that. Right? Like Yeah. yeah. Anyway. Absolutely.
0: Yeah. Now, I think you're right because um, you know, Mozart's music is lighter. Um and I think it's but it's also kind of more natural at the same time. There's a kind of naturalness to his music. And for instance, that's one reason why I think he actually has some good operas under his belt whereas beethoven's i don't know if you've heard beethoven's opera but um don't Not listen good. to it yeah <laughs> he, uh, <laughs> he didn't do that very well even if he did do it a hundred times and i think it's because of that um the way that it came out like like, like the
1: that's um misa Solemnis. is that <clears throat> part of it
0: no no that's his um, mass right i guess that's the what that,
1: yeah fair enough my classical is obviously lagging, but... Um, cool. So, cool. now let's segue to if people didn't know this game that you iterated on and that you wanted to iterate on more of. Um, It's called Recursive Ruin. But rather me telling you guys and the listeners what what it's like. I, I, I have played through the demo, and obviously I've, we chatted a bunch before, Um, but if you guys could just give Yeah, like, uh, tell us about the game, um, and then we'll go from there.
0: Sure, I mean, the,
1: the kind of, uh, one-liner explanation
0: is that it's kind of if you took, uh, Gone Home, you stapled it onto some fractal version of Portal, and then it was directed (laughs) by David Lunch. So there's definitely, um, elements of it that are like, it's interesting, it's an interesting game because I think to really, um enjoy it. You're gonna to have to be somebody that's really likes hardcore technical, logical, left brain things. And you're gonna also need to be somebody that really enjoys fractured, emotional, complex right brain things. It kinda of hits both ends of the spectrum very hard. Um so uh yeah if you're signed up for some kind of surreal story experiential stuff and you're signed up for some recurs you know, recursion and fractals. Um, and strange loops are are really integral to the whole thing. So if you're uh, if you're like yeah, it sounds awesome to me to like somehow do this self collaborative cyclical puzzle solving thing, uh, while simultaneously being the first person um, uh, experience of a uh, David Lynch film or something like I want to be Cooper <laughs> and, right. Twin Peaks. Right. Right. <laughs> and Um <laughs> you know, this This is the game for you, right? Put down your copy of Infinite Just and play our game.
1: <laughs> also, just put down your copy.
0: Oh, <laughs> come on. <laughs> come on.
1: Nah, I'm just... I, it, it's such an easy uh, joke to make that it had to be done. Sure. Well, <laughs> yeah. I have read it. Um, it was a long time ago, though, so I actually can't recall much of the, the book. But I think it was 2003? 4? Right. Yeah. But yeah. Anyway, um, it was like in between my Vonnegut and Murakami phases,
0: sure.
1: which is a great time to read. Yeah. it, I
0: I love Vonnegut. Yeah.
1: Um, so when you say fractals, and so I mean, there's first of all, I it's it's out on Steam. There's a demo which is free, which is I want to say twenty-ish minutes long. The demo, is that right? I didn't. Time
0: twenty to it, thirty. But... It, yeah, it so depends on how long. Sorry, uh, I was saying, yeah, it depends on um, the person. Like certain people uh, take longer or shorter mm-hmm. based on the puzzles, but generally about twenty twenty five minutes.
1: Yeah. yeah. Also, whether you um, so I mean, it's you start in a room, um, and it's clearly some future time, um, there, and you like it's really simple. It's just left click interact, and you get. You know voice notes uh on various things which does nice world building um there's a weird holographic person hunched in a chair um (laughs) which was not explained in in the demo which i was like i wonder what this thing is um but also i had to have to ask will like there's a mirror It shows the room to the point where when you first enter, you're like, oh, this is a huge space because the feng shui of that room is putting the mirror in the right place because it just opens the place up. You're like, oh, that's just a really big mirror. And then you're just like some wispy fog. (laughs) And I was like, oh, okay. And then I had this, like this, because I've talked to you guys about this game, and I had this cognitive dissonance of, is this because games don't normally give reflections oh but i have something and now i don't know if, if this is like oh yeah we're just video game with a mirror or you guys have put something in your david Lynchian stuff such that me starting the game am already not in the good sort of place physically um which i really enjoyed because again if you if there was no reflection, that's just video game. But there is a reflection, and it just piqued my curiosity, and I really liked that. That was like within the first thirty seconds of of me playing.
0: Yeah, you got it. So uh, you got to watch H Bomber Guy's uh, history of mirrors and video games. It's like a three hour history um, of the technology of mirrors and video games. It, it should really be the hacks of mirrors and video yeah. games. <laughs> Uh, but, yeah, I mean, so it's interesting. mirrors are um really heavy duty they're not a simple thing to take on oh, oh yeah,, um, so you know you gotta we decided we wanted the mirror and we decided to do it kind of the right way, so if you compare it like uh I mean, and also like like a lot of things with games, there's like kind of um give and take, and there are compromises to be found everywhere, yeah, right. So, we just happened to have that space was amenable to being rendered uh, in a mirror. that was like a thing that was possible, oh, okay. possible. <laughs> so um we wanted a mirror. it was possible as far as why uh you the protagonist mm. is as they are. I'll simply state that you know you could think of a mirror as a form of a strange loop or recursion, and if you read Gude usher and Bach um. He's got some things to say about that, but it's a kind of teaser. I would just say I would highly encourage you to play the rest of the game, and it was, will be further illuminated.
1: Ah, I like the um, yeah. the light pun with mirror talk. <laughs>
0: yeah, I'll I'll, I'll, I'll just, just to kind of slightly out on that, that. I'll just, just say it was, it was a particular, particular decision with intention, intention behind it. it.
1: I, I had a feeling um <laughs> uh, but also I think that's uh your you' talking around it uh, i think helps for those who aren't familiar with the game uh d- loops are obviously the key here because once you um my one complaint I will say is that um you i found the game case and couldn't interact with it and then and then <laughs> I came back and then. I was cued by the game, and then the disc was just beside the case. And I, <laughs> yeah. I, 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 I'm giving you a hard time, but I was just <laughs> like, ah, oh. <laughs> like you want be, to see that case open up, right? Yeah, kind of, or right. just, or just <laughs> yeah. be the like my click opening it and making it pop out versus being told the disc is there and it, it sort of popping out. And then it being there before I could like check the case. <laughs>
0: yeah, I believe the in lore fiction here is that behemoth got it before you could.
1: <laughs> mm. That's fair. Uh, yeah. But it, but like I said, like I think it was because I was so in the world because it is a really really good intro, and then it was like, oh, that's just out now. Um, but also, <laughs> I don't know if that. That means something in the deeper lore of the game because it, it, all it's do all all you're doing is building up mystique at this point. So, I know that, but um, you put the game into the television, and then you get transported to a new world, um, <laughs> and and that's when the crazy starts, so to speak.
0: <laughs> well, you skip the the fun part, which is uh you on the TV um, comes uh, the game Recursive Ruin. So, yeah. playing Recursive Ruin, you play a game called Yes. Recursive ruin.
1: <laughs> yeah, sorry. Yeah, I did forget to say that the game that the, I also didn't mention the talking cat. Um, <laughs> by by far the most popular character. I mean, it's a cat named Behemoth. <laughs> of course, it is. What? Yeah, <laughs> I, I also like that. Um, uh, like you have to interact with this cat a bunch. Like if there's no sequence breaking around cat. It's like nope. Your talking cat is integral to, to you starting this game within a game.
0: Yes, it is required. Yeah, it is required. You interact with cats
1: to play this game. Uh, I mean, it, 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 this is and just is in general in life.
0: Yeah, it's, uh, it's one of the more realistic elements in the game that you have to interact with the cat in order to make any progress whatsoever.
1: <laughs> so yeah, so so basically in the demo, I I don't want to like go. Like play by play, but basically you meet some interesting characters, which describe the world and the state of the universe, which you know is setting up the the intrigue and motif. Uh, and then you're solving puzzles that are at this point primarily uh, about getting getting to a thing that creates a crate, and then throwing that crate into a sphere with an eyeball on it. <laughs> yep. Correct me if I'm wrong. Yeah, I thought uh, that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, and, Sounds accurate. And at no point in the demo did, did, did these particular objects, then their significance become clear. The, the world is very, oh, I don't even know how to describe it. The aesthetic is, um, yeah, uh, otherworldly in the sense of you have like very clean lines and segmented things. And, you know, really light on the textures. It's very much like, think like metals and plastics, sort of just shiny bits and bobs, creating a world or at least a part of a world. And then as you look around, you realize that part is, hence the fractals, uh, is repeated at infinitum in all directions. Um And in the brief time with the demo, you really figure out that, like, this isn't window dressing, and like p- part of the like the the core puzzle mechanics is is figuring out how to make use of that repetition. Um, and then I guess I'll just top off the description with: at this point in the, after the demo, you have left click is your interact, and then um, right click is move the games that change the world in one significant way, which is. At least re- tends to be raising a platform which is just a chunk of the world um which will again will raise all the re- the repeti rep repeated that's the yeah. word <laughs> repeated chunks um uh and then you have you <clears throat> get introduced to a shrink mechanic which makes you smalls,
0: yeah exactly we call that uh shifting the world yeah um yeah. so like the way that uh it kind of works is that the world itself. Uh, has a kind of transformation matrix that describes the repetition that occurs, and what the shifting the world does is it i mean this is like getting real techy, but that changes the 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 transformation matrix and so it, it changes the manner in which the world uh, repeats in and out of itself and so right. the the interest of course is that the way that the world relates to itself uh, geometrically is changed. Uh, there are elements, you know, cyclically where you can get to or it'll deny you passageway. Uh, it'll allow you to, you know, kind of do self-collaboratively, place things for yourself to find uh, things of that nature. That's the very, like, left brain yeah. aspect yeah. of it.
1: That's very much the, like, it felt like, this isn't, this isn't mathematically correct, but it felt like inverse portal to me. where in portal you are in a static place and you you are moving around in novel ways and this feels like you're sort of the stat you think of yourself at least in the puzzles i played it was very much a well if i'm this point how do i move the world around and and then you know shift myself a bit but it very much felt like the other way around where the world is is the thing that you are trying to work around obviously with the shrinking mechanics there is an element of I'm and it's both, but I I very much felt like thinking of the puzzles that way as like inverse portal really helped me like, Oh, okay. Right. So what game state, in what state does the world have to be for me to do this, Be to do this relatively simple thing, like walk forward, pick up a box because now the box is in the right spot.
0: Yeah, exactly. Uh, A lot of it is kind of thinking through um, it, it. I mean, it's, Okay, let me describe it like this. Uh, the world itself obviously uh, works in a manner that is not like the real world. So, a lot of what the game is, is like trying to model that in your head because it's not straightforward. It's not intuitive necessarily. Uh, but you'll find that your brain, you can get your brain to work like that. Uh, and you'll start to model these relationships in your head uh, to where you can kind of recursively. Uh, get to where you need to go and change the the, sh- the space uh, such that you, you can get passage to where you go. So oftentimes with puzzle solutions, you'll realize um, are very straightforward and simple once you get to the understanding that's required. So a lot of the yeah. game is just trying to get towards
1: that, that understanding. I mean, I think this is why I enjoyed it so much, because the way you described it is like, like, oh, yes, I'm a logician, of course. of course i would enjoy a game like this but i think that 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 is kind of yeah like 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 you said how um how the the few puzzles i i got i solved in the demo really came about was just like yeah having a i think maybe that's why i'm thinking of it as uh as like inverse portal because it's like modeling what the world is doing as you said right so it's like okay versus thinking of a route which is a very first person perspective it's like oh so what is what is the chunky change which as as a person who just sees modal logic for instance uh and possible world semantics, <laughs> uh, that's my jam because that's just apparently how I think and it uh it's uh now I'm really curious. I'm gonna have to try try and find other people who have played this game because um I'm really fascinated at games like this. There was that one we talked about before you were on that had just came out recently that was um an infinite puzzler, um, very, like...
0: Marquette? Hmm?
1: Marquette. Yeah, I think that was it. Um, and it was super interesting talking to people who played that to see which types of puzzles they tripped up on, and be, like, and be like, oh, boy, humans just think real different, don't they? Um...
0: Honestly, I have to say, this was one of the most challenging aspects of making the game, is, um, balancing puzzles... Uh, especially our game is pretty linear because it's trying to do this uh, kind of narrative thing. So it ends up yeah. being yeah. more linear. And um, there are just, people just think differently. So there are just some people where certain kinds of puzzles are just inherently more challenging for them. Whereas other people, you get they get to the next puzzle and all of a sudden it flips and they get it. And then somebody else, yeah. they just really trip up on it. And then there are some people who are just like, um. Yeah. Just geometrically, their brain just really clicks, and they're they're just kind of naturally very good at it. And there are other people who are just, you know, they enjoy it, but it's it's definitely more challenging overall. That was very hard to balance. Um.
1: Yeah. yeah and to, to add to that, I, I think, think part of the
0: challenge for us in making it, in that, that it is, is so linear, is, is I I think that there's been a lot of big puzzle games, games that have come out since since Portal. And I think one of the innovations that has turned out, I think, to be a good idea is to have maybe more of a collection or a cluster or a cloud of puzzles wherein you don't necessarily have to solve every single one in order to make progress in right. the game. Whereas in a game like ours, uh, every single puzzle in the game is an off ramp for somebody, right? There's probably right. every single puzzle in the game, someone stopped playing the game because they could solve that puzzle. Right which is a difficult thing to grapple with it's um it means that you have to really think about how difficult you want something to be and and it's kind of this probabilistic filter where you're trying to make it interesting and that'll make it you know for the people that do solve it you know feel more satisfied so maybe it's a little bit peakier but then you know you have to think about what the fall off is right and if if you're too tight on that, <clears throat> you can just alienate a, a, a ton of people. And for us, one of the very important things for us with the game is that we wanted people to get through it for the story. I was about so, to say, the,
1: being narratively focused must make that extra challenging.
0: Exactly. So, you know, if we were going down the route of just making the most hardcore puzzle game, game ever, and the narrative wasn't, wasn't as important, or or something that you just experienced more ambiently, then, then you know, I, know, I think, think we could have balanced it to be a much more challenging thing with a lot more puzzles in it, but, but it, it was, was more of a balanced game. game. So, a lot, lot of, of uh development time was spent trying to figure out like, is this too hard or is it, it too, too binary? binary? Uh, is, uh, is, is is the hint, hint sufficient? sufficient? Are people <laughs> going to be annoyed <laughs> by the hint? Can they figure it out even if they're uh, even if they decide to read the hint? Um, um and and yeah, and then trying to make sure that the game is still enjoyable for the people that that can solve it, right? Because you can tune it to where everybody solves it, but then it's not interesting at all. Yeah, so wow. this, yeah. This was, I think, probably the hardest part to to nail and and balance for for the game.
1: So this was actually one of the questions I I had I wanted to ask you guys, which was uh, around the hints, right? So. Uh, when I played through the demo I did I did the like standard, hey, I'm 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 not just a player. I'm trying to talk to the devs, I'm you know, review or whatever. So it's like, oh, okay, I'm gonna look around a lot more, but I'm, I'm gonna see these hints and I s and like the hints were I also have a habit of breaking games because I always choose not the path the that people <laughs> think. So like I got a couple hints. Um not in the order I think the average person might have got them just because it was like, oh, that, that doesn't make sense. And the next hint came in like, oh, OK, so it is what I thought it was because I wasn't. But like, then I, it occurred to me, it's like, oh, this is pretty well spelling out how to solve this puzzle. And well, obviously, because I just played the demo, I was curious, like, I, I, I just are the hints like, was that specifically to show off, here's the demo, everyone will finish it, these hints are straightforward, and you seem to indicate like there are hints throughout the game. Of, I'm gonna guess that they become a little more esoteric. But I, I'm just just going off what you said. um just speaking to like what um what that hint system is in the the whole game, and then how you approach that with the problems like that tension you mentioned earlier. Yes,
0: yeah, so at the beginning, I mean, <clears throat> at the beginning, I would say they're more tutorial than hint. And
1: Chad and I
0: had even discussed the possibility of making it a separate system. Um, the problem is, is you, you run into this issue with every new mechanic or concept you introduce to a player has a cost to it, so you have to do this cost-benefit ratio of, is it worth it to have a separate hint versus tutorial system that looked different, that might even need to be interacted with differently? Is that you Know doing enough to justify its additional complexity, we landed on uh, we'll keep it because it's only gonna be once, <laughs> we'll keep it more tutorial esque in the beginning, and then after that, uh, we're gonna try to make it more hint like. And in fact, in the next, uh, the next kind of puzzle level that you get into, it explicitly tells you, uh, do not read these unless you want hints because you know, ah. like hints, <laughs> right. right? Um, so it actually tells you it does a switch, uh you know you could justify maybe uh doing it the other way, you know, but this is what we landed that, on
1: I mean, I think thats so really, they become
0: a little bit more hint a uh, little less tutorial uh in the later one yeah, way. but to to kind of your question though I, I think it's not so much that the hints become more esoteric or don't try to help as much. I think it's more just that the complexity of the puzzles increases and there's a fundamental difficulty in uh, communicating relationships in a fractal space through text Mm. that is incredibly limiting right Right. so there are times when you want to talk about something and you can't just use words like up and down or forward and back because it's D- they're, they're both. They're, they're all of <laughs> these at the this same time. This is another. Time. Yeah, this is another very challenging thing about making this game. So I, I would say another. Yeah, another challenge was just having the player understand where to go, because it's not like a normal level. Like in a, in a normal game, you would just kind of like generally put these like signposts, mm. like that way. You know, this game doesn't work like that. Like things are cyclical. That way ends up being behind you in a sense. So, yeah, like just,
1: how do you get, just have a marker and then a compass that points to the marker what's the problem <laughs> <laughs> just
0: <laughs> yeah so like uh, a lot of another big challenge was trying to make it clear where players should go especially in the beginning where they're unfamiliar with the mechanics so right. we tried to make it clear and it's still challenging there is for for some people um that the beginning can be a little bit of a big difficulty spike just encountering the cyclical world for the first right. time is, is a little challenging for some people um so yeah just getting the player oriented and knowing generally where to go and what to do in a cyclical repeating world turns out hard <laughs> yeah just, just to, to kind of, of you know riff on, on that, that a little bit more than, like even beyond, beyond the hint system, system just, just doing simple things that, as um like at, at one, one point we, we had, had we had are indeed a little bit the possibility of having a more explicit, almost quest like system it, during the puzzles to show, to show you, okay, here's your goal, goal right now. Here's the, the thing, thing that you're trying to do and highlight that thing. But the problem ended up being because it is infinitely nesting, that thing that you need mm. to do ends up like repeating in all these different ways. And you either have like this just blast of highlighting across the game world. <laughs> Which is telling you to go kind of everywhere, or you can try to make you know decisions like, well, maybe we only highlight the thing that's in the same depth as you, right? Which, Which works sometimes, but the problem is there's a lot of times where the solution you have to be interacting with something one or even two depths away from you in order
1: to. Yeah, I was going to say the whole solution. point of making it a puzzle game <laughs> is that the puzzles exactly. won't be straightforward, so that undoes any sort so, of easy. Like, so these posting. things became,
0: yeah, yeah so. Things like highlighting, things like a compass, an arrow, all of these just didn't work for this game. And, you know, I think really what ended up happening is we realized, uh, at least for the way we were making the game and the game that we made, there was not really one solution. And so, really, there's kind of um, a family of puzzles in every level that lean pretty heavily on a particular mechanic right. per level. And kind of really, the solutions are, are particular for each one of those levels to try to make those the most clear as they can be.
1: Interesting. So, when you were mentioning like different approaches to puzzle games, um, it and I, I it occurred to me that I don't think I've ever seen sort of like a Metroidvania puzzle game where the Metroidvania like the lock the skills are just epistemic. So you could theoretically pass the whole game if you just could think the right way. But actually, the like the standard path through the game would get you into new solutions, which would let, show you coming back. And I, that just really tickled me. But that's kind of what aligned with what you were saying, which is just like, you need to marry these things together. Otherwise... You know, you never get to that other part. And if it's, if if it was this epistemic Metroidvania type thing, that would be like some bonus extra thing. But obviously, to get through a narrative, you don't want people never noticing something in a corner over there. Yeah. I actually think that's a
0: perfect description of The Witness, for instance. Yeah. (laughs) I I would say, you know, that is an epistemic Metroidvania, like through and through. But the difference is that uh, The Witness, I think, was happy to let you play uh, with having no understanding of the narrative whatsoever. Yeah. Yeah. Whereas I, and our you kind
1: of need to, yeah. Like you could just play the game. Yeah.
0: Whereas I think our game, uh, you know, is heavily invested in the story. Um, it, you really to appreciate the game, you really, really do need to engage with it, and so you have to engage with it kind of linearly. Uh, and so that that definitely shaped the way that the levels came about and 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 functioned. Itself. The, the It's all very the, braided together.
1: Yeah. You know? The the irony of needing to think about your game linearly is not lost on me.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's like the cyclical linear yeah. thing. Yeah. Damn. <laughs> yeah, one thing I was going to say is there's actually kind of a genre around this premise. I don't think it's as cleanly executed in every instance of it, but have you ever heard the term Metroid-brainia?
1: Before? Oh, I haven't. No. I, it immediately yeah. makes sense. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Yeah, it's this kind of idea that, like, okay, you have, you know, this open, explorable space. There's things that are gated off, but it's not necessarily like an RPG mechanic or a weapon or, you know, power-up that gives you access to them, but rather knowledge of how to interact with them. That really is the thing that lets you get further and will encourage you to backtrack and interact with things that you've seen previously. So I think it's, it's a really interesting... One of the games that I saw kind of included again in this cluster, cluster and i don't know that, that i would say it's the cleanest execution, execution but um return, return of the Oberdin is right. something where they right. give out as an example and i do, I do think, think it has some of it, it. it's, it's not, not it's not you can't, can't go anywhere, anywhere in that, that game, game from, the from the very beginning the but there's a lot, lot of things, things that you can get, get further in by backtracking and knowing certain events yeah but there's also a certain amount of unlocking that happens. yeah i will say that one big decision we made with this game about towards the early part of it that shaped it fundamentally was, um, you know, like how do you uh, place things in this world? How does it progress? And one idea was that you could have had it, and we did do some prototyping to this, where each uh, puzzle was its own separate world that repeated, and, you know, kind of like Portal esque. And so in Portal, you have like a puzzle, you go to the next room, you have a separate puzzle, you go to the next room, you have a separate puzzle. Our worlds don't really, so we tried kind of something like that mm. at first. And our the repeating nature of the world just made it not work at all. It's fundamentally kind of broken because what we realized was that learning how a, a repeating world relates to itself is a kind of uh, learning curve in and of itself, right? right? So there's a process a player goes through just getting plopped down in this place to just understand how they are placed right. in it and how the nature of the space and how it relates to itself. And so it ended up making a lot more sense. And what we arrived at was the idea of having larger levels. So before they were much smaller. No, right, because you were trying to. Much larger levels with several puzzles, sets of puzzles, families of puzzles uh, with a unified mechanic kind of uh, be the main way that these levels ended up working. We also couldn't do, also just to give another thing we couldn't do, uh, you know, we had thought about doing an open world thing. Oh, gosh. It also doesn't work. Yeah, I, gotta, I work could, couldn't even
1: <laughs> imagine how that would...
0: Uh... You'd have to go four-dimensional, yeah. I think. Oof. Um, <laughs> that might have been too much. Yeah. Um, so this is what we arrived at. And I think it works pretty well, generally. You know, you get to see some variety. Oh, yeah, sure.
1: Sorry, oh. <laughs> I was trying to be coy and not be, and interrupt you, and then I interrupted you with pointing at the can. Uh, so, so we have this new um, format where we do two episodes um, a week instead of what we, you know, our epic long ones. So, I'm just going to tag us out. Like, I have to do so much editing, so I'm just going to be like, it's fine, I'll just ramble a bit, uh, but you guys can just keep your recordings going, and then I'll chop them up at the right point. Sure. Um, so now that i've hijacked if you could finish your thought <laughs> uh curtis uh and then and then we'll go and say our last things about the the beers and then we can ramp back into the things and then start chatting ch- as well
0: yeah so my, just my final thought is like uh i actually think we arrived uh, i think probably it's a solution at least i like a lot if not the best solution of having each space be unique it relates uh to itself fractally in a unique way, uses a unique mechanic, and we get to have a unique aesthetic for each level. Uh, and I think it ends up lending a lot of variety to the game. You know, I haven't read much reviews of like, oh, it just repeats the same thing over again. A lot of people <laughs> say, like, there's a lot of variety. I mean, it <laughs> does, right?
1: But it's not the same mechanic. <laughs> oh, it's like, oh, so no one understood how the game worked if they didn't Nobody say it Nobody understood.
0: <laughs> it is all different spaces.
1: <laughs> Uh, yeah, I mean, yeah. Uh, to that point, yeah. Sorry. No, go ahead.
0: I was just gonna say, um, I, I think for this game, for the story that we wanted to tell, the thing that we wanted to say with this game, we, we landed on, on um, the, the right, right solution, solution for it. But, but I will say that if we were ever to make a puzzle game again, which I'm not sure that we would actually, because I feel like making it has so many perils. But one of the things I'd probably be putting a lot of thought into is this kind of more open world that isn't so uh, requiring the player to to solve and engage with every single puzzle. Right. I, I do think that there is a real cost for that, and uh, it, it's it's a cost of for everyone because it means that there are going to be people that like the game just feels super difficult, and then people that feel like the game is too easy. Whereas like if you can spread it out and you can make some of the content optional, you can kind of make everyone more likely to be happy with what right. they got out of it.
1: So, yeah. well, and similarly, like, if narratives are locked away, or like, because some people skip all the cutscenes, and so, again, if you have a more fluid approach to things, then they can kind of stream from puzzle to puzzle and be happy. So yeah, I get why that would be, like...
0: I, as a counter-argument, <laughs> I'll just throw this gauntlet down real quick before we get beers, um, but... I will say, I think that in games there is this tendency to try to make everybody happy but I, and try to make a game all things for all people. And I do think that there is something to be said about a game having an identity, you know, taking a stance, being like, this is what this game is. It's not going to be for everybody, right? But the people who really uh, vibe with it will get something greater out of it than just kind of a oatmeal of like generally consumable mush. <laughs> I, I mean, I agree with that. I think it's all about balance and what you want for the particular game. Like So for us in this game, the puzzles are important, but not the only important thing. Right. So a different game with different concerns might balance things differently and may steer more people towards different parts of it differently.
1: Hmm. And I think that um, next episode, we're going to chat a little more about the aesthetics uh and um the narrative um and uh and obviously that'll tie us back to the game mechanics but for now mm-hmm. um chad last thoughts on your beer
0: yeah one of the I, i'm i'm through it now which is not surprising since it's you know pretty sessionable um the thing that i think i'm left with it is that as far as uh session beer goes i thought it was great I really enjoyed that. It has a kind of lingering bitterness Mm. to it uh, that, you know, there's a lot of other sessionable beers I could drink that I think, you know, I drink drink it. it And
1: as I said, I kind of
0: forgot I I drank it by the time I'm done with it. But this one, I feel like I actually got something out of it that was a little bit longer lasting. And it it has this kind of, yeah, um, foresty, piney kind of, um, yeah kind of lasting bitterness to it that I enjoyed. Excellent. Curtis? Yeah, I mean, uh, I have to admit, for me, uh, the spear is kind of nostalgic. You know, there are certain just flavors and songs and things that are iconic and nostalgic and just bring you back to a certain place. So this is just really bringing me back to to my time in in England and in Europe, um, you know, touring with bands and stuff. Uh, And so, yeah, I love the flavors, I love the taste, effervescent. It's Sweet, uh, but not cloying. It's uh, complex but uh, smooth.
1: So uh,
0: yeah, it's great. <laughs> I'm yeah, vibing I
1: mean, it. Yeah, I mean, I having being in Europe, uh, I think uh, if I can find a shop that has it in stock and is open, thanks to this Jubilee weekend, I am gonna have to track myself down a bottle because so I think it's been almost two years. No, I think. Ooh, I don't think I've had a A4 Eight in the but since the before times. Um, which it is anywhere between two months in the way I feel and seventeen years also in the way I feel. <laughs> but practically more like two and a half years. Uh for me the um the wiper and true verdant uh farmhouse spelt pills um didn't change. Uh and I think that's a good thing. Um it still had that nice long finish. The Brett Tang didn't so one thing I was wondering about, because it had that sort of longer finish is whether my palate would acclimatise. And I think it might have shortened a bit, but really it just it still lingers. I still taste it. And actually, if anything, when I got used to the bread, the lemon so that that light citrus uh on the finish just got a little more apparent as the beer went on. And I think that made it a much more rounded finish. And that's why I like slowly drank it because again that finish was so nice that i didn't really feel like i needed to replace it with anything um but yeah that's um that'll do us for this episode um if people wanted to see what you guys do and uh slash buy your game where and where would they find you guys and what would they do
0: uh well you can follow us uh, it's my fault i should Twitter. ask one
1: of you this is a bad hosting <laughs>
0: I was, was going to say, say, you, you can, can you can follow us uh, on, on Twitter, at bitrockgames, if, if you just want to follow the studio. Individually, uh, individually we, we have our own Twitters, uh, at Dr. Chad McKinney, and at Dr. Kurt McKinney. Uh, additionally, if you want to find out more about the game, you can just go to recursiveruin.com, and there's a little blurb there, as well as a link to just take you directly to the Steam page if you want to uh, check out uh, the game. I would certainly encourage people to play the demo uh, it is a particular configuration of ideas, and I think that um, there's, a, as we said, a strong emphasis on the narrative and the puzzling elements. Some people may resonate with only one of those, and so you maybe just give it a shot and see if it's your kind of thing. But, but yeah, you can check it out there. Anything else to add? Yeah, I hope you like the game. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent.
1: <laughs> uh, well, you can find us at cast uh on twitter i'm at the OmniArch. you can find all the things we do here at outoflives.net at outoflives.net or out of lives network on the twitter or the twitches and the youtubes although the twitches are not happy with me these days um and youtube <laughs> we'll see what you guys will see given that we aren't recording the video because ooh, my computer's angry at me um but yeah that's that's it for this episode um so thanks again guys and uh, we'll catch you both next episode which will be three days from when you're listening to this, (laughs) listeners, dear. Um, All right. Take care. Cool. Take care. Uh, Chat's just not going to say goodbye.
0: Damn, Chad. Goodbye. (laughs) 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 www.outoflives.net My head is dying
1: down. I know.
0: I've known that for years, Chad. People are missing this comedy gold.